Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, these last few years, there's been an increased awareness about the terrible care our military veterans have received. I mean, thank God for the efforts of President Trump that he put into this area that did show some promising improvements and results, amen? But there's still a long, very long way to go. And our vets, their spouses, and their families, they're hurting, they're suffering. And when they try to navigate the myriad mazes that consist in our government, they get lost and sometimes they just give up or they fall through the cracks and then have to start all over again. And again, and again, but all hope is not lost. There's a team of volunteers out there that take this very, very seriously. And our guest today has formed a grassroots mission, national promises made, but not kept by the VA. Praise God. Jane Babcock has been a volunteer for over 12 years. She's a veteran herself, retired, and she's serving the veterans in her state of Wisconsin, but also helping others nationwide. Praise God. Through her volunteer training and guidance with one-on-one virtual calls, live podcast interviews, in-person group, and virtual classes, Jane has been on the forefront of helping veterans navigate the mazes of bureaucracy, especially inside the VA. Amen? Her mission is to educate every veteran, their families, and their widows or widowers on the benefits which the VA seem happy to keep secret. We'll put it like that. Help me welcome to the program. Jane Babcock. Jane, thank you for coming on the show today. It is a blessing to be able to talk to you as you help our veterans and their families. I do appreciate your time. Thank you, Robert. Well, it's always great to talk, to meet a new family member that I didn't know before. Amen. Amen. And thank you for your service. Well, I appreciate that. Now, the first question I always start with is, other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Jane Babcock? Jane Babcock is a young lady that was born and raised on the East Coast. Uh, I was born in the state of New York, Upper New York, and then moved down to New Jersey and places like that and lived where there was a lot of cement and not a (laughs) lot of green. So when we moved out to the Midwest, out to Ohio originally, my sister asked my father why we were living on top of each other back there when there was all this open land. And what are those big black and white spotted dogs doing out in the fields? (laughs) Big dogs. (laughs) Yes. We learned that that's where milk actually came from. It wasn't just produced at a factory and then showed up in the store. But that's where I started out. I graduated high school in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And like most people, I got out of school and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I didn't want to spend my money on school. And finally, by the age of 23, I thought, well, I like to tinker and do little things. And this was back in the early 80s. So it was like, hmm, computers seem to be something that's going to stick around for a while. So 
I originally went into electronic repair in the crypto field. And at that time, it took up two big racks of equipment. And now it's as small as your cell phone. Yeah. So that's what I originally started out doing in the military. And then I spent 21 and a half years between four active duty cycles and the rest being reserves, but five different military occupations. And then due to injury, I left the service in 2004. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you for your service as well. Praise the Lord. Yeah, the the computer age, wow. You know, I was offered an opportunity when I was 16 years old because I had saved, I I had a job and cut grass and things like that and it saved about $10,000. And I was into racing boats and the guy that sponsored the the boat races uh, for us, he was our sponsor. uh, He found out I had that money. He said, oh, he said, you need to you're getting ready to go in the military. You need to go down and invest this and just let it sit till you get out. Right. He gave me this number of his stock. The guy had, you know, he owned businesses in Germany and everything, you know, around the world. This guy is wealthy. That's why he was our sponsor. But uh, I went down and talked to the, the guy and he says, yeah, there's this company coming out. They want to put computers in every house, you know, and it's, it's, it's been public for about six months and it's like $30 a share. You know, you can, I was like, you know, a friend of mine had one of those computers and you had to put a cassette tape in and let it load and all this stuff. And I was, yeah, you know, I don't think they're going to catch on. It's kind of, you know, we, we played chess with the computer and, you know, you'd make your move and enter it. And 15 minutes later and get done calculating, you know, I don't think it's going to take off. So no, I don't want to do that. And that little company is called Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. If yeah. we'd all been that. Oh, been yeah, exactly. I was like, ah, oh. <laughs> my first job, I was enlisted first. I went in the army and I was in air defense. So our control van with all the scopes and stuff in it for radar scopes was on the back of a deuce and a half. And then next to it was a trailer. That was the computer. Right. And yep. if you got stuck working the computer, you know, you had to go in and load it and see all the little lights blinking and stuff. And you could count the lights. And if it stopped, you'd run a program and tell it, okay, number such and such is the problem area type thing. Uh, about three years later, they combine the control van and the computer all into one. I was like, oh, wow, you know, it got smaller. Right. And like I said, now, you know, it's, yes what we carry around in our pocket is more powerful than what was in that van yeah what we carry around our pocket is more powerful than what the space shuttles computers could do you know yes that's weird (laughs) anyway you've done research that says that there are 32 million veterans in 1990 or 1976 but today there's less than 20 million can you share with us the importance of those numbers and, and how they don't really tell the whole story Well, you know, as we advance technologically, there's fewer and fewer needs for actual physical bodies in service. As you said, occupations combining, equipment getting smaller, the task being done from further and further away. So we have downsized our military. Our missions now, of course, involve a lot more countries and things like that with NATO. So in 1976, short, you know, within the year after uh, Vietnam, we had Vietnam, we had Korea, we had World War II, we had World War I veterans living. So most of our veterans from that era are going to be wartime veterans, not necessarily combat, Mm -hmm. 
but they are going to be wartime. And when you think about it, those guys went over and they stayed until the quote job was done. Some of them being there a year, some of them being eight months, some of them being two and a half years. My father and my grandfather both served in World War II. And my father actually sat in a warehouse for about four and a half months after service, just waiting to get on a ship to go home. Wow. Yeah. And he'd been there for two and a half years. Yeah. So that's a long time. Today, unfortunately, we rotate our soldiers in and out of there so often that we're doing more harm than good. Most of my soldiers back in the 90s and 2000s, they said, I wish I hadn't taken leave in the middle of my tour. I got up to speed and then I came home and everybody was telling me to put the brakes on, that I was too hypervigilant, that I was too forward and aggressive as far as doing things. And then that hurt their family image, their family relationships. And then they went back overseas. They needed to get back up to speed quickly. So a lot of them got injured because they weren't being as attentive as needed. And then they came home again. And again, they were back up at the thousand miles an hour speed limit. So to repeatedly do this to them was extremely harmful. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of them paid the price between their family dynamics and suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. We have to really think about how we're fighting for democracy. We're just, sometimes we do more damage than good. Yeah. Amen. Amen. There's something called the Namer court ruling. Uh, What is that and how is it supposed to be helping veterans and their surviving spouses? I'm sorry, Rob. Say that again for me. The, The Namer court ruling. Nemer. Nemer. Okay. okay. Nemer was originally, it's strictly related to Vietnam. Mm. And the reason I say that is because the Vietnam veterans had to fight VA to get awarded their benefits. And, you know, at first the government didn't want to recognize the fact that because of their exposure and lots of soldiers of being exposed to Agent Orange, there's 38 cancers that are associated with it. Mm. There are multiple neurological diseases, Parkinson's, Parkinson's-ism, and other diseases that are related to the exposure to those chemicals. Even now, they're seeing TV ads saying, you know, Roundup, Mm. the commercial form of Roundup. If you were exposed to it and you have Parkinson's or you have this, that, or the next thing, come see them for this lawsuit. If they're Vietnam veterans or they were along the DMZ in Korea for a short time, or they were on certain Air Force bases in Thailand, Mm. and finally, just a couple years ago, they accepted blue water, which means veterans that were on ships within Mm. 13 miles or, or 12 nautical miles, 13 land miles, they were exposed. These are the guys that the plane took off, flew over sprayed the stuff and then flew back through it and the the plane was covered with it and they landed on their ship. Mm. But up until just a couple of years ago, the VA refused to recognize that they had been exposed. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of veterans that already passed away from these diseases 
Yeah. And now their widows are entitled. And this is where Niemer came in. Niemer mm. went to the government and said, look, it's not my fault. You didn't accept the science that proved that this cancer was associated. So you, because I filed my claim five years ago and you just now accepted it, I get five years worth of back pay. Because mm-hmm. the government always said, if yeah. we are going on the date of the claim. But it might take eight years for that studies, those studies to progress through the system. Yeah. And this veteran said, but you knew five years ago, you just weren't willing to accept it. Amen. So the veteran said, I, you owe me five years. And the Supreme Court, because he had to go all the way up to the Supreme Court, said, oh, wow. yes, you're right. Mm-hmm. It, it is, you filed it, and it is a disease that should be on that list. And we're going to put it on the list and you're going to get your five years. And if you had died in that time, your spouse would be entitled to those back benefits or your family, Mm. including children, if the spouse is already deceased. Okay. Amen. Amen. That was an important ruling then. Yes. So (laughs) that's the only, right now, that's the only application. Mm. But of course, the Vietnam veterans are trying to push that same understanding that same ruling to go through for our younger veterans that were exposed because they are getting these diseases like Parkinson's Mm -hmm. that may take five years to diagnose. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I actually enlisted in 76. So, you know, my, a lot of my supervisors were Vietnam veterans and stuff. And I've talked with people I know, you know, they've received some benefits because they were exposed to Agent Orange in Vietnam. But is this still available to them today? I mean, I know we heard a lot of stuff in the past about Agent Orange, but is that still applicable today? Oh, definitely. In fact, the Vietnam Veterans of America are taking information and studying it regarding their children and grandchildren. There are recognized presumptives for the direct children. Wow. Spinal bifida being the big one for our guys that served and were exposed. And then there's a list, a regular list of birth defects and problems for children of the female veterans that were exposed. Mm -hmm. And that's because a lot of them found that they weren't able to carry children Mm -hmm. because of the damage it had done to their reproductive systems wow. and things. Yeah. So wow. if you're a child or a grandchild, if you're a child, you're going to want to contact your local veteran service office, but a grandchild with major health problems, contact the Vietnam Veterans of America, give them that information. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are gathering the data to try and present to the VA to show that this particular chemical exposure problems is generational. Amen. Amen. Now you published a LinkedIn article that discusses just a few of the the cases in which you intervened. And one of the stories about a Marine with over 25 years of service, fully qualified for retirement, but they're going to put him on retired reserve due to surgeries that happened just prior to his retirement date. Can you briefly explain that situation for us and how you intervened and what the result was? Yes. That young man's first name is Robert also. And he had served six years in the Marine Corps, six active duty years. 
and then came home. He had been overseas twice to the sandbox. Unfortunately, he had been involved in IED. He did have a jaw injury, and he'd actually had surgery in the core to work on his jaw, and they had actually had to place a small artificial Mm. piece into his jaw to get things lined back up, and he decided that that was enough. Well, he went home, and, and like most of us, he missed that camaraderie, that family, and he looked around, went in the reserves, but the only thing local was Army. And guess what? He got deployed again. (laughs) (laughs) So he did two more deployments with that reserve unit within like four years and said, okay, I've had, I'm just going to give it up and go back to uniform. And he took an active guard and reserve position as a recruiter. And he, like myself, I did a recruiting tour, really enjoyed meeting the younger generation and talking about their dreams and hopes and expectations and how they were going to achieve these things. And so he stayed on recruiting quite a long time. Well, recruiting, they send you for your physical a year before. Well, between all of his prior injuries progressing over the years, he went down to Fort Knox, got his physical. They said, oh, you're good to go. You know, you're going to retire. You don't have any active disease like cancer or anything where we need to keep you in. And he went back up to his recruiting station. And during that time, he was injured while remodeling his home. Now, people will say, well, he wasn't on duty when he got hurt. Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. When you're on active Active, duty, you are on duty 24-7. So his injuries, when he stepped between floor joists on the second floor of the house and Half of him went through the floor or ceiling, depending on how you look at it, and tore up his hip and had previously injured his shoulder and then re-injured it. So he ended up needing all these surgeries between the exit physical and his actual departure. Well, he came in on a Thursday because someone said, hey, the lady up in the next county is a really good veteran service officer and go see her. Well, he walked in and I said, your orders say you're going to the retired reserves. And he goes, yeah, I've got 20 plus in the army reserves. And I said, no, no, no. You've got 27 years because you've got six years in in the Marine Corps. So we're going to get this fixed. It took a lot of phone calls (laughs) to the Pentagon. And I finally got to a Lieutenant Colonel Tomko. What a wonderful person. She was in the MedCom. And she took it to her boss's desk and he said, where's the evidence of the surgeries? Because we can put him in with just these surgeries. We don't have to worry about the prior cheek and head stuff. So they went, or excuse me, they called me on Friday and said, tell him there will be two E8s standing at transition point and they will take care of him. And they took him across post, rescinded the transfer orders, took him downtown, had a doctor do a quick physical. They sent that back to the Pentagon. And at eight o'clock that night, that young man was retired on active duty, full retirement with full benefits. And for him, that meant health care for his kids. That was his biggest concern. He was a single dad and he wanted to make sure that he had coverage for his kids. Amen. 
So he got his full retirement. He got his VA disability. I did the paperwork for that. And we put it on an expedite request based on financial hardship. A lot of people don't know you can request expedite under financial or medical need. And then he filed, of course, for his Social Security because he had put his money into that pot. Mm -hmm. So he and his children are fine. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. And, and, you know, you were also able to help some Marines that were stationed at or working at uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, from way back in the 50s up to the 1980s. Explain what that was all about and how people that worked there during that time could still be impacted. Yes. Unfortunately, you know, back in the 50s, they didn't understand trichloroethylene and all these other exotic chemicals. And they were dumping them into the ground. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, they went into the water tables and came right back out the taps onto post, Mm -hmm. both on Fort Bragg, or Camp Lejeune, and the surrounding area. Now, the government isn't liable for the entire area because these chemicals were both dumped off post and on post by all sorts of manufacturers and such. But the on post, whether you were a family member, a child conceived there, or veterans serving there, a reservist that came for summer camps or anything like that, you are entitled to benefits under a list of presumptive illnesses. Mm. And again, that list is part of the presumptive list. So if a person walks into a VSO office or files it directly with VA, which I don't recommend you do that, I always recommend you use a VSO. They are accredited and trained, and they attend training every year to make sure those claims go in right. But there's a laundry list of illnesses, and if it's filed, the veteran is entitled to receive compensation. He's entitled to receive free health care for the conditions. The family is entitled to health care for those conditions. So get with a VSO from 53 to 87 on Camp Lejeune. Unfortunately, the water was toxic. Yeah, I'm very familiar with Tricol. We use that when I was in radars. That was our cleaning solvent for inside the vans and everything. So Yes. And people will say, well, what if I wasn't there, but I have this condition? Well, if you were exposed to the chemicals, such as jet fuel, Mm -hmm. one of my young men uh, did refueling and stuff. And more than once, he was exposed to situations where his boots were wet from the jet fuel. Mm. And he worked, you know, a couple hours and never thought twice of it. But over the years, he started having tingling in his feet. Mm. Well, it got pretty severe. And he also started having all sorts of migraines and things like this. Well, they went and did the tests and realized that his chemical exposure was what was causing the nerves in his feet to die. And also as a side effect, the the migraine. So he was able to, we were able to service connect both Mm. of those. Wow. And so all of his care, medicines, therapy, everything else is totally free through the VA. And he receives compensation. And as he ages, because of his degree of injury and such like that, and it's progressive, eventually, if he needs nursing home care, they'll pay for it. Amen. Amen. 
Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for this very interesting and very needful information that Jane Babcock has been sharing with us about VA benefits. I mean, there's no doubt that many, many veterans and their families are suffering just because of the bureaucracy at the VA. I mean, it seems easier for them to say no and then make you do all the research to prove them wrong than just to do some simple fact-finding on their own and say yes and save everyone time and money when... It comes to supporting our military veterans with the benefits they were promised back when they enlisted. I mean, I joined the Army in 1976 just because of the lifetime benefits. Nobody else in my family had anything like that but me. Amen? And guess what? I was denied benefits for the VA by, you know, for an injury that I suffered in the military as well. Amen? I mean, that's it's like they're just, you know, anytime a claim comes in, they just say no and then make you go through the hoops to make prove to them that they were wrong. Well, anyway, this has just been part one of what turned into a great three-part interview with Jane Babcock. So be sure to come back and get the great information she's sharing in these next two episodes. And be sure to go down to the show notes, click the links right there for some important information concerning VA claims, etc. Amen. Till next time, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcasts. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. 
Faithcasters. Your voice, your platform, your success. Thank you.